We got an industry that's about to be a billion dollars and it's going to continue to grow from there. And so isn't it crazy that we don't have regulations in place yet for bad actors and people making false claims on the label of their products? I mean, what's what's the exposure to consumers, Lauren? What's the exposure to businesses that are trying to do the right thing around CBD? This podcast is produced for informational purposes and does not constitute any scientific, legal, or medical advice. The views and opinions expressed by guests of this podcast are those of the guest alone and do not necessarily reflect the opinions and positions of the host or any other entity or organization. Listeners are encouraged to listen with an open mind and form opinions of their own. This is C2C, where we cover innovation in the food and CBG business from conception to consumption. Welcome, everybody. My guest today is Lauren Israelison, who is president of United Natural Products Alliance, They're a trade association of dietary supplement companies committed to safety, science, and quality. Lauren's got a really interesting background as well. He's previously been president of one of the larger dietary supplement companies, Nature's Way, and he's an attorney, and he's been very active in legislation around the dietary supplement industry. So, Lauren, welcome. We're excited to have you here today. Thank you, Gary. Pleasure to be here. So, Lauren, to start off, why don't you give us some background on some of the key projects you're working on these days at UNPA, what your member concerns are, what you think some of the bigger concerns ought to be for the broader public who's concerned about dietary supplement topics? Surely. Uh, yeah, at UNPA, we have uh, three or four uh, strategic issues that we're watching, working on every day. Uh, Number one on the list is CBD and hemp extract products. Uh, Most everyone is aware of the explosion of public interest in CBD, along with the social and uh, cultural changes around recreational and medicinal marijuana. Uh, This one caught us by surprise. Uh, Few of us saw this uh, enormous trend of CBD building as quickly as it did. Uh, as exciting as it is, it's also fraught with complexities. So uh, my staff and I are spending, I would say, roughly 30 to 40% of each day just on CBD-related issues. That's amazing, 30 to 40%. Yeah, 30 to 40%. Uh, we, we had not budgeted that kind of time commitment, but the, the subject is so demanding uh, and urgent that we simply have to respond to what is needed. and. While it's fascinating and interesting, it is certainly a time vampire. Several other issues that we're also uh, working vigorously on is uh, what we call Deshay 2.0. And this is a result of public statements made by FDA in the last quarter of 2018 that the agency is interested in amendments to the Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act, which uh, we refer to as the SHEA, as the acronym. This was the landmark legislation passed in 1994 that created the legal framework for today's dietary supplement industry. It had a profound effect on uh, the growth, development, investment of our industry to the nearly $50 billion industry it is today. So the fact that FDA has signaled their intention to go to Congress uh, to amend certain key parts of Deshaies is a major development and something that 
our team, as well as our political advisors in Washington, are working um, a great deal on. Uh, a third issue of great interest is compliance with the Food Safety Modernization Act. Uh, this is the uh, is also an act of Congress and was designed to respond to tremendous changes in how food and food products are uh, are manufactured, grown, sold worldwide. Um, as compared to 15, 20 years ago, today's uh, food supply is truly global in scope and nature with a lot of attendant uh, food safety risks and uh, hazards that need to be controlled. Uh, one of our staff is a, a senior FDA investigator with tremendous experience in FSMA, and so we do a great deal of industry training and education in that respect, which we consider to be a high priority. The fourth issue that we're actively engaged in is China. Uh, China is the number one supplier to our industry, meaning the supplement industry, to the tune of about 80% of all raw materials that go into our dietary supplements are produced in China. That is an exceptionally high number as a total percent. Uh, therefore, vigilance to make sure that the raw material supplies from China to the U.S. are of high quality is a part of our uh, FISMA program. Also, and equally important, if not more so, to the brand holders in our industry, China is very quickly becoming the number one natural health product consumer market. And uh, more, I would say, aspirational and affluent Chinese consumer, which is about a population group of 400 to 450 million people, uh, larger than the entire U.S. population, are very interested in natural health products for themselves, their aging parents. They're very, very interested in uh, mother-baby health products. To focus our efforts in China, we will shortly open an office in Beijing. And in the fall, we will be opening a uh, showroom at a newly developed international trade center that's been organized by the Chinese central government. So we have uh, high hopes for developing China as a consumer market for our leading U.S. Uh, supplement companies and other natural health care product companies. All right, great. Well, that's... Uh Boy, that uh, that gives us enough to talk about in four podcasts, probably. So <laughs> yeah. let's uh, let's pick a topic. Let's drill into the CBD thing because that's on the mind of so many consumers. It's hot. It's going to be very soon that it's a billion dollar plus market just here in the United States. So, Lauren, what's what's your take on the latest on where all the regulatory issues are landing, or hopefully will land in the future related to CBD? A uh, very interesting and yet very complicated issue, as you well said, Gary, that this is uh, dynamic. It's blowing past a billion dollars here in uh, mid-2019. Uh, the, the regulatory issues are exceptionally complicated. And here's an overview of why. Uh, that for the longest time, as we all know, that marijuana was a controlled substance and all ingredients in marijuana were con so controlled substances, specifically THC. Last fall, the U.S. Congress passed the Farm Bill. This is a very, very important bill that, pa that is required to be passed by Congress every five years. It establishes budgets, policy for uh, agricultural uh, products, 
commodities, subsidies, uh, feeding programs of all kinds. Uh, exceptionally big and important bill. In that bill, they included a provision, which uh, we refer to as the hemp provision, that legalized the industrial agricultural growing of hemp. Uh, now, there's often confusion. What is the difference between marijuana and hemp? The answer is it's the percent of THC in the plant when it is harvested. Under this new provision in the Farm Bill, that a marijuana plant, let's call it hemp, under 0.3% THC by dry weight is considered industrial hemp and not a controlled substance. This has opened the door for the broad use of hemp uh, materials, and that includes a lot of the fibers, oils, seeds, powders, and so on. Uh, CBD is the most important uh, material that comes out of the hemp plant. Here's the first complexity, that the Farm Bill did not resolve the legal status of CBD, otherwise called cannabidiol. Uh, that needs to be resolved. So many of the CBD products that we all see at retail, uh, if you were to ask FDA, they would say these are not lawfully sold products for one reason, is that we FDA have not authorized CBD as a lawful dietary ingredient or food ingredient. There are um, significant efforts to resolve this question. Uh, I have met with FDA a number of times, many others have, to look for a pathway forward so that consumers continue to have access to a product which they clearly want. The other issue uh, of significance is last June, just over a year ago, the FDA, the other part of FDA on the drug side, approved CBD as a new prescription drug. Uh, this is called Epidiolex, and it is for rare forms of severe epilepsy in children. If you have a drug like CBD that's new, the drug holder has a right to an exclusive market. Therefore, the CBD products in the market today are essentially infringing on the rights of this new drug holder. We have been in discussion with the, uh, the drug holder, uh, GW Pharma, uh, which goes under its U.S. brand name of Greenwich Pharmaceuticals, to see if we can establish some sort of a, a three-lanes approach, which would have a lane for the pharmaceutical drug, for dietary supplements, possibly a lane for foods, one for cosmetics, uh, and that is an active discussion right now. But I must say that this is an unresolved issue and that a great deal of investment money and market activity building the CBD category is all predicated on the resolution of this issue. Uh, that is why it's our number one priority and why it's taking so much of our time. Yeah, and and so we got a, an industry that's about to be a billion dollars and it's going to continue to grow from there. And so isn't it crazy that we don't have regulations in place yet for bad actors and people making false claims on the label of their products? I mean, what's what's the exposure to consumers, Lauren? What's the exposure to businesses that are trying to do the right thing around CBD? Great question. Very Again, very complex set of issues. Uh, let's start with the, the, the business side of this, is that we have hundreds of companies jumping in 
Uh, some of them well-established, well-known brands. Others are brand new. Uh, what we're seeing, number one, is that because this is such a young market, that there is a there is a relatively immature executive core, and remembering that no one could legally deal with um, hemp extracts uh, that come from the marijuana plant now hemp until just over a year ago. So it's not surprising that uh, there's a lot to learn, a lot to be done. Uh, I think it's fair to say that the market growth has outstripped the regulatory process, the technical issues of analytical testing, reference materials, good manufacturing practices, agricultural practices. All of these things need to be further developed. So it is remarkable and probably without precedent to have a category growing this fast on the consumer side with so little infrastructure in place on the commercial side. And this, again, is why there's an urgency uh, to get a lot of these systems on board. Uh, and much work is going into it. Now, on the consumer side, uh, I think it's fair to say that let's look at the retailers. There are the big box stores are all very keen to be offering CBD products. Some have announced that they intend to do so. Most of them are starting with cosmetic products that contain CBD. That's seen as a safer uh, beginning pathway rather than a supplement or a beverage or a food for regulatory reasons. Now, at a consumer level, it is exceptionally difficult for consumers to have um, a reliable reference source of what is a good product. How do I know? There are relatively few, if, if almost no, certified marks that a consumer could look for to determine quality, product integrity, safety, and so on. So right now, uh, the consumer is having to make choices uh, in the absence of the usual sorts of references and, I would say, uh, signals of quality that they would look for. Uh, clearly, consumers would like uh, more direction, and we hope to provide that to them as an industry. But even without it, sales of CBD are just going through the roof. So, so what's your take, Lauren? Is uh, is this a, is this a fad or is it a long term trend? Is uh, is is the CBD boom for real? Is it going to go now to a billion and then to two billion and and then on up from there? What do you think? You know, I was skeptical uh, twelve months ago. I thought this was a fad. I have changed my mind. I believe this is a durable, long-term trend. And here's my reasons. First is we have congressional action through the Farm Bill late last year that, that indicates a strong congressional interest in creating a lawful pathway for uh, hemp extract products. Second, we have the legitimacy of an approved new drug for CBD that suggests that the clinical research there uh, for CBD uh, demonstrates it has therapeutic benefits. Uh, a lot of that yet to be explored. Um, other indicators are that the agricultural sector is heavily investing in transitioning to hemp production. Uh, the USDA is providing uh, guidance to farmers on how to plant, what seeds to use, and so on. We've also seen FDA take uh, very uh, significant interest in and. Trying to develop a regulatory pathway, they've made it very clear that what they're looking for is safety information on which to make a judgment that CBD 
can be sold as a consumer product. The questions will then be at what dosage levels um, and other considerations of that kind. That's that's their job. Um, I think we can also point to the very practical matter that CBD and hemp extracts uh, are a tremendous tax revenue base for states uh, at the moment. And that suggests that there is an incentive on the part of local governments and states and municipal entities to uh, try and responsibly develop both the agricultural base as well as a consumer base that would generate tax revenues for taxing authorities. There's a lot of indicators that suggest that this is a durable trend. We also see massive investments coming from a very mature investors. Uh, that the tobacco, the beverage industries, other major uh, investor sectors are putting a lot of money into uh, CBD and hemp extracts. So uh, I would say with the major caveat, which is that we need to get over the FDA uh, resolution of regulatory status. And if that were to happen, along with clarification on merchant banking, which is the other big problem, of being able to use uh, national merchant banks uh, to clear transactions with credit cards. If those two issues are are resolved, uh, I think that we would see a second explosion of growth in this category. All right. So you think you think it's for real? You don't think it's a fad anymore? You think you've it's, it's here to stay? I believe it's real. I believe it's here to stay. I'm here with Lauren Israelson, who's president of UNPA. So, Lauren, we've seen in the news companies like Ben and Jerry's have plans to put CBD into ice cream. We've seen other types of food and beverage companies like kombucha plans or have already started putting it into their products on store shelves. Your trade association is made up of dietary supplement companies. So what are your members thinking? What are your members doing right now about CBD? Our members are of two minds on this. We have a number of our brand holders and major members that have embraced and are entering the CBD sector. And others are holding back and waiting until there's greater regulatory clarity. So our membership is a reflection of the national uh, dynamic, which is those companies that are jumping in despite the uncertainties and those that are holding and waiting. Uh, until there's uh, a more clear go-forward pathway, particularly on the, the regulatory side. And we see that in the big retailers. Uh, to my understanding, Walmart is holding, Walgreens is moving, CVS is moving, um, You know, other retailers are holding back. Uh, and so this is a fascinating situation where, uh, depending on your risk tolerance and, and your sense of where your place in the market will be, we see a lot of companies jumping into the CBD pool, and others are still standing by. And this is building a certain tension, um, as quite rightly, those companies that are holding back and waiting, feeling that they're respecting the regulatory process, also feel that they're in danger of losing first-mover opportunity. So I would say that the pressure and the friction points are growing. Uh, that's the need for resolution on the regulatory issues. And, 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 and so, Lauren, what are, you, what are your members telling you? Are they saying, Lauren, go set up a tent in Washington, D.C. and don't leave until FDA regulates this and has issued all the uh, regulations? Uh, 
Well, there is certainly, a, uh, we have a very clear mandate from our members to, to work with FDA and all other of our peers and colleagues to, to find that pathway. Uh, so we'll have discussions uh, almost on a daily basis with various parts of, of that mix of players, whether that's the drug holder, regulators, other trade associations. Uh, so yes, uh, short of having a tent uh, on the mall in Washington, D.C., uh, we're about as active as we can be. Uh, and, working toward resolution. And are are you seeing progress? Are you are can you can you say, hey, here's here's where we've come in the last three months or the last six months or the last year with uh, with federal regulators? I would say that, that we have seen movement, and the two important indicators were came in May. Early May, there was a significant meeting of all of the major heads of FDA with the major trade association heads to discuss current status of CBD. And both sides had a chance to express their views, uh, what their expectations were. That was helpful just to try and clarify respective positions and what we all hope can be achieved. The second and probably most important indicator about FDA was a public meeting held by FDA on May 31st of 2019 to receive public comments um, in response to specific questions that FDA has raised that relate to safety, good manufacturing practice, consumer understanding of usage of CBD and related questions. Um, it was a remarkable day. It was a 10-hour public hearing. Uh, there were well over 100 um, witnesses that uh, presented testimony, uh, followed by a public docket that has been opened, and hundreds if not thousands of comments are being filed. And that docket is scheduled to... Um, to close on July 16th, which is just next week. Uh, at that point, FDA will evaluate the comments, and we expect it sometime, uh, I'm not sure if it will be this year, but early next year, we would expect FDA to provide further insight as to their views on um, the evolution of the regulatory process. It could go either way, Gary, right now. is uh, Once again, the major problem is that doing research on um, hemp products basically didn't exist, uh, with a few exceptions. So a lot of this foundational work needs to be done. We can look at other countries uh, for um, indicators and experience, uh, but this is a unique problem where uh, your hands are tied. You can't work on, study, or develop a natural product material, and then suddenly, unexpectedly, uh, you have public adoption that uh, jumps ahead of these normal scientific, commercial, and regulatory processes. So this puts us in uncharted territory. Uh, you just can't buy a map to show you how this all uh, to get from A to B. You, so, you, you mentioned other countries. Uh, are, are, can Washington, D.C. look to some models in other countries in Western Europe or Canada or other places like that, Lauren? Yes, yes. Uh, Canada is a, a good working model. Uh, parts of uh, Western Europe that, uh, and they're all struggling with this as well, but they have allowed the production of hemp. Uh, France, for example, is one of the, the more advanced uh, economies that has allowed hemp. Uh, Russia has done so for a long time. China is the world's biggest hemp producer. So they have a lot of experience in growing hemp, uh, although CBD is not allowed to be sold in China. So it's a very mixed bag. 
as to where we would look and how much we would learn from other countries. But by all means, we need to get every bit of information we can glean uh, to have the most complete understanding of what what is known and to take the best of, of uh, all worlds on this. Mm. So Washington has a big, uh, a big uh, task here. Um, let me ask you to speculate a little bit, if, you, if you're willing to, Lauren, which is you've talked about Deshay 2.0. You've talked about FISMA. Do you think it's likely that one or both of those will bring CBD regulations into their umbrella? I, uh, I don't think so. Uh, it, it is possible that under this the Shea 2.0 initiative that FDA is bringing, that when they go to Congress, that someone in Congress uh, that uh, has an interest in hemp extracts could propose as part of the overall the Shea 2.0 package to uh, rectify the CBD regulatory status by law, by statute, rather than by an FDA regulation. Uh, That, I guess, is the the question of the year. Uh, I'm not sure what to think about that. Um, Got to wait and see. Got to wait and see, yes. That's one of the great unknowns, is whether Congress would move faster than FDA or whether FDA... uh, will be quick enough so that Congress feels that they don't need to take uh, you know, any individual uh, legislative action on CBD. Uh, both of them have uh, risks to them. Uh, you know, FDA has publicly said uh, they would like Congress to, to provide further direction to FDA with regard to uh, the status of CBD. Uh, the difficulty is uh, finding the right legislative vehicle to actually do that. Um, the, the way Congress is organized these days, it would be exceptionally difficult to get a small freestanding bill of that type passed. So uh, I, I wish I could give an answer. That would be great. Everyone would like to know yeah. uh, if there is a better shot going through Congress or through FDA. Um so, so we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, so I understand you don't have a crystal ball at UNPA, but does UNPA have any general position on the benefits of CBD? Uh, I could say that given the time we're investing in it, we, we see CBD and hemp extract as an exceptionally important and valuable category in the dietary supplement arena. Uh, my personal view, uh, based on all the time I've spent on CBD so far, is that it is one of the most intriguing uh, plants, uh, plant materials that I have seen. And based on the uh, recent drug approval, it suggests that there are exceptionally important properties to be explored. So I would vote yes, that, uh, that yes, we believe CBD has a strong future uh, it's worth the time and the investments that we're all making now to do so. Uh, and just as a separate reference point, if you look at the consumer response, and granted that is anecdotal, but just taking that as a totality, uh, that cannot be dismissed as an important indicator of perceived benefit of CBD. 
what's remarkable is that the range of benefits that consumers talk about is so broad, uh, anxiety, insomnia, pain relief, um, all the way to cancer and other serious diseases. Um, I, I take a lot of that with a grain of salt, uh, but I also know that when there's such a large body of anecdotal evidence, that is worth paying close attention to. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, to clarify, your members are dietary supplement companies, so they, when they make label claims, they have to be very careful, they have to use the appropriate methodology under Deshay, so they can't have a pill out there that's contains CBD and say, uh, solves all your sleep problems or takes all your pain away, what they can do is say something like supports a good night's sleep or something like that, right? Correct. Yes. Uh, the way we view it is that we have the statutory framework of the Shea, our dietary supplement legislation, which clearly lays out the types of public claims that you can make on label. And we would expect our members or any other companies to, for the present time, stay within those uh, boundaries as, uh, as a working practice for now as the best way to move forward. So you're right. The type of claims that would be drug claims uh, or disease prevention claims, you know, this would be outside the scope of what we would regard as acceptable or permissible. So if I'm a food company uh, or separately, if I'm a supplement company, what sort of general advice, Lauren, would you give to companies who are thinking about putting CBD into their product as an ingredient? My advice, to any company that is either in or interested to join this category is to look, don't look over the past two years, look forward two years and imagine what this sector will look like um, as a, a maturing regulated industry and put your focus on the fundamentals. And that will be uh, the quality of the seed stock, the raw material you purchase the exceptional discipline and skill in the analytical arena, because this is a material uh, where you have to absolutely adhere to a very fine line uh, between the amount of allowable THC. And if you exceed that number, then you will have a hot product that becomes illegal instantly. Uh, So this requires the highest discipline and rigor with regard to these technical skills, GMPs, good agricultural practice, good analytical skills, uh, very disciplined manufacturing to make sure that your label is accurate, uh, disciplined uh, advertising, uh, very careful distribution, uh, making sure that you're selling in lawful jurisdiction. So my advice is that if you're interested, uh, be a leader and be prepared to invest in the infrastructure. Uh, rather than, I would say, brand development, brand and image promotion, the, the winners of the future, in my judgment, will have done the fundamentals. Uh, I believe that there will be a CBD 2.0. And that group of companies that approach it this way will have a second opportunity to be market leaders when we better understand what true quality means in this category. And that's where I believe that the big retailers, that physicians, uh, that other recommenders and influencers will be looking to those proven brands 
that have demonstrated that high quality discipline, they will be the winners of the future. Can you, can so you, in a sentence, yeah, build fundamentals, uh, focus on that. Your brand will follow. Mm-hmm. In terms of lab analysis, have you or your members seen any typical repetitive problems? I don't know, pesticide residue or strength and potency. Any, any guidance you can give to companies along those lines? Yes. We've seen a lot of conflicting uh, certificates of analysis. Many laboratories have not dealt with CBD or hemp extract, and therefore the first questions are, what reference materials are they using? What are the instrumentation, uh, the lab qualifications, the technicians, ISO certification. Um, also, yeah, there, that uh, you have to think about these particular problems. That hemp is a phytoremediator, that it likes to suck up heavy metals, and therefore you have to be vigilant on heavy metal testing, as well as herbicide, pesticide, fungicides, mold, are other factors to bear in mind. Uh, the new issue arising is the possibility of synthetic CBD being used uh, as a part of a natural extract. And our view is that there is no place presently for, for synthetic CBD in this market for a number of reasons. So trying to rule out synthetic, rule, ruling out heavy metals, herbicides, pesticides, but most important is to make sure that your THC levels uh, do not exceed the 0.3%. Uh, that would be the single most important factor. And to be sure that your laboratory is calibrated for and able to give you highly uh, predictable, reliable uh, analytical reports. Um, that's the fastest way to have a disaster is, is to get your numbers wrong and to have a non-compliant product on the market. Mm. You, you touch on an interesting point here about qualified labs because it is a new space. I've talked to a couple of CEOs of CBD hemp type companies, and they've told me that that's one of their concerns, that labs who are otherwise good and do quality work have probably in some cases not really taken the time to understand the new testing and the new analysis that they have to set up. So that's a, I mean, that's a scary problem, right? I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm running a company, I'm doing testing, I'm trusting the lab, I'm paying them and they're not qualified. Are you, are you, are you seeing that as a, as an issue out there? It's a, it's a very clear issue. Yeah. Uh, labs may be very good at other things. They may not be competent yet to test this class of product. Uh, so any brand holder, contract manufacturer, you know, anyone in the value chain, uh, who very often that they, they don't have a lot of expertise in this analytical scientific arena, hard for them to judge whether the lab is competent or not. Um, we're actually planning a, a series of webinars and, and special trainings for executives and industry members to help them understand what the questions are, just to understand the lexicon, the terminology, what should they be asking, how do they vet these laboratories, and our hope at UNTA is to be able to provide a recommended list of labs that we have high confidence in, given how critical the lab analysis is to a lawful product. Mm-hmm. 
Now, we know that in uh, the two major cannabis plants, marijuana and hemp, there are these naturally occurring compounds, THC, CBD, but increasingly there's there's new research that there are, I've heard are something like a hundred additional other compounds that are very interesting. Do you do you or your members have any research going on or any long term perspective about you know there there are going to be other interesting things that we can extract from these plants? You raise a fascinating question. Uh, there are about, and I keep seeing different numbers, but somewhere between 110 and 115 other cannabinoids. Uh, the two superstars are THC and CBD. What about the others? These are all first cousins and siblings of, of the two star chemicals. Uh, there is a growing voice uh, within our community that there are other interesting chemicals uh, we, to be honest, Gary, have not had time or the bandwidth to get into that other than to know that they are there, there is interest, um, and that it is likely as one or more of those pop onto the, uh, the radar as chemicals of interest that we will need to expand our focus beyond CBD to some of these other cannabinoids. Uh, I, I hope that that doesn't happen in the near future because we've got our hands full with CBD. And it would likely cause us to have to revisit all of the issues we've discussed on this call. Uh, every time that there's a new piece of the chemistry of uh, cannabis that we have to deal with. Uh, so this, this could be job security for a very long time. If <laughs> we continue to see a rollout of other interesting uh, chemistry uh, from the cannabis plant. And that wouldn't surprise me. In fact, I expect that to happen. But no current predictions on which ones will be the, the, the next ones that are uh, rising stars. Are you, are you, wor- is UNPA or your members working with any specific research laboratories on, uh, on these types of topics or just sort of monitoring what's going on? Uh, well, yeah, in fact, uh, I can tell you that we have signed uh, memorandums of understanding with several organizations. Um, several months ago, we signed an agreement with the Hemp Industry Association to further our understanding of the hemp market. Uh, that has been a very productive, collaborative relationship for them to teach us more. Uh, we have been at each other's conferences and events. We have done shared webinars, seminars, and we'll continue to uh, build our knowledge base of the hemp industry through them. And I'm pleased to tell you that as of uh, Tuesday, two days ago, we signed another memorandum of understanding with the University of Arkansas Medical Sciences Center at the University of Arkansas. Uh, they have a deep expertise in a lot of the clinical and toxicological uh, science around uh, cannabis. Uh, We look forward to working with them to be uh, an expert advisor to us, particularly on the uh, talks and the safety issues around uh, cannabis and CBD. Uh, We have several other uh, organizations that we are in negotiations with of a similar nature, and we'll be happy to announce those in due course. And those are designed to help advance and speed up our ability to tackle these technical issues that we've discussed. Is Our view is that we need to find the best and the brightest in specific areas of knowledge and collaborate with them, given the size and the dynamic nature of uh, this category that's developing. 
So uh, we, we're we're trying to uh, to collaborate in order to to serve our members, but also to try and make sure that consumers are well served with products of high quality that are well made, uh, that provide the benefits that they're hoping for, uh, and at prices that reflect uh, the benefits that they offer. Well, kudos, uh, kudos to UNPA for playing a leadership role here, because obviously this category is going to continue to evolve. It is. Uh, it continues to be dynamic. Uh, the internal joke at our office is that we wake up in the morning waiting to, to read something in the news around CBD and hemp, and we have not been disappointed. Uh, <laughs> every day, there is something that's new and important. Uh, it, it's uh, I must say, it, it's an exciting time for us. Uh, you don't get challenges of this kind very often. And uh, we, we're doing our best to recognize the opportunity, but to be realistic about the challenges of meeting uh, the expectations of all of these varied stakeholders, ranging from Congress to regulators, the scientific community, practitioners and physicians, uh, and the general public, all of whom... Uh, have very strong needs and uh, are all trying to do their respective jobs. And uh, we hope to be an effective partner to help facilitate a a good result for all sides on on this important issue. Lauren, before we go into wrap-up, any other words of advice or points you'd like to make with our listeners? Well, I would stress again, for those that are interested on the commercial side that are thinking of getting into this category, is to be exceptionally vigilant about the fundamentals here, is to spend the time and the money to uh, truly understand uh, the details. Uh, there, there's no category where that is more important. That success and failure will be determined by that kind of rigor and vigilance. I want to thank my guest today, Lauren Israelison, who is president of United Natural Products Alliance. Lauren, thank you so much for being a guest today. We've got a lot of topics. We would love to have you back on the podcast in the future to talk about some of these other initiatives that UNPA is doing with China, with Deshay, with FISMA. But uh, this has been a great talk today on CBD. Gary, it's been my pleasure. I appreciate uh, your time as well. Thanks for listening to C2C, where we cover innovation in the food and CPG business from conception to consumption. Just type the letters C-T-O-C, no spaces, to find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbeam, and Google Play.